0: Good morning. My name is Jordan and I am one of the pastors here at Carney E Free. It is so good to be here with all of you today. Welcome and good morning to everybody here in the auditorium and good morning to anybody watching online. So glad you could join us today so we are continuing our series called Broken to Beautiful, and today we'll be diving into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul covers a number of topics. He talks about marriage, he talks about sex, he talks about divorce, he talks about singleness, and he's kind of like all over the place as he's going through this chapter. And my task this morning is to talk about singleness. And so a lot of times when we talk about singleness in church, I think there's a a um maybe feeling that half the room wants to groan and go no not this topic and then the other half of the room wants to go okay I'm gonna take a nap because I'm married and this must not apply to me um please don't groan don't take a nap stay engaged because I think Paul has good things to give all of us whether you are single or whether you're married God has good stuff for us through this passage this morning Uh, As we begin, because we're talking about singleness, I think it's important for us to talk about our culture's obsession with romantic relationships and sex and intimacy and the idea that fulfillment comes through being in a romantic, sexually fulfilling relationship. That I think as you look at movies, TV shows, as you look at social media, a lot of the times the idea is that if you want to be happy in life, you're going to have to get married. And if you're not married, then you must be miserable. And this is a tragedy that we need to figure out how we can solve because we want to get you happy. And so we got to find someone. So, you know, have well-intentioned people that say, you know, I have this really nice guy or nice gal and they're trying to set you up. And it is what it is. Um, anyway, uh, so they, the culture, turns singleness into a tragedy. Uh, but we're gonna talk about how singleness isn't a tragedy. Because as Christians, we know that people can be single and celibate and very fulfilled. And while that might be a confusing concept or a foreign concept to the world, we know who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ is a man who was single and he was celibate and I'm convinced that he was very fulfilled that as being fully God and fully man, I think that he fully knew what life was all about and that he was fully fulfilled even though he was single and celibate here on earth. That you have the apostle Paul who is single and celibate and he is fulfilled in life here on earth. That you don't hear Paul or Jesus writing or talking about how they just need to find a wife so they can settle down and get happy with life. That's not what Paul was writing to the Corinthians about. And so they have a bigger mission. They have a bigger goal in life. It's the mission of God. It's what God wants to do here on earth. That Jesus again and again says, I'm here to do my father's will. That Paul is about um, carrying the mission, the vision of making disciples to the ends of the earth. He's about taking that to places that it's never been before. And so the big idea this morning is that our society sees singleness as a tragedy. Paul saw singleness as an advantage. So our society, I think, sees singleness as a tragedy. It's a, a, something that needs to be remedied, something that needs to be fixed. But Paul saw singleness as an advantage, something that he saw that there is advantages to singleness that married people don't have. And so we'll unpack all of that. Now, as I say all those things, I want to also recognize that there's probably many listening, whether it's in this room or online, that you have heartache, that you, you long to be married and yet you're not and so you're disappointed and you're struggling with these feelings of being alone. And I, my hope is through the course of this message that you would find hope and help through what Paul is going to share and the vision that he's going to share um, of singleness. So let's pray and then we'll dive in here. Father God, God, I thank you that you give us completeness through yourself. That we don't need it through another person here on earth. We don't need it through a romantic relationship. We find completeness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you please help us this morning as we think about singleness, as we think about marriage. Would you help us to think about it rightly and to learn from what Paul has to say to us. God, would you help me to be clear and concise this morning as we tackle this subject. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we, before we get to 1 Corinthians 7, we get... We need to make a pit stop in Matthew 22, verse 23 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there to Matthew 22. It'll also be up on the screen if you want to just bypass that and go straight to 1 Corinthians 7. So we'll give you some context. So Jesus is towards the end of his ministry. He has a few days left here on earth, and he's teaching in the temple courts. And religious leaders are coming at him kind of in waves, trying to trap him or trick him, because they want to um, discredit him so that they can point to the crowds and say, hey, look at this Jesus guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the Old Testament. He doesn't know what's going on. Just ignore him. That's what they want to do. And so they've been trying to trap him and trick him with these questions. And now there's a group called Sadducees who's a group of religious leaders. They're going to come and ask him a question. So verse 23, it says, That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now you might be going, this sounds really strange. So a guy marries a woman... He dies, and so his brother's got to marry her? What's going on here? So this is the system they had created in the Old Testament to take care of widows because at that time period, they couldn't own property, they couldn't provide for themselves, and so they were going to be destitute. And so what Moses set up was, this is how we'll care for her, that if her husband dies and she doesn't have kids who are going to be able to inherit and take care of her, then her, one of his brothers needs to marry her. So whatever you think of that, that's how they had set up to take care of her. Now, verse 25. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? So they feel like, gotcha, Jesus. We created this this problem. What are you going to do here? So... Man marries a woman, he dies, so then his brother marries her, then he dies. That happens seven times. Then when she dies and they get to heaven, who's she going to be married to? She was married to all of them and didn't have kids with any of them, so who's she going to be married to, Jesus? Riddle me that, answer me that, Jesus. So Jesus responds, verse 29. Jesus replied, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So Jesus' response is, one, you guys don't know the Old Testament. Two, you don't know the power of God. That when people get to heaven, when they get to the resurrection, they aren't gonna be married. There's gonna be singleness in heaven. So you don't need to worry about which one of the seven she's gonna be married to because she's not gonna be married to any of them. There is singleness in heaven. There isn't this marriage between people who were married on earth. They're not married in heaven. So this is our first takeaway this morning. In eternity, we will be single. In eternity, we will be single. that all of us, whether we're married here on Earth, where we ever were married on Earth, we're going to be single when we get to heaven. Now, we're going to be single for all of eternity. So if you i have been formed by American culture that says, in order to be satisfied and happy in life, you need to have a romantic, sexually fulfilling relationship. You hear that and you say, what are my other options? Because heaven doesn't sound so much like paradise anymore. But then that comes to the second part that Jesus said. Jesus said, or the power of God. You don't understand the Old Testament, but you also don't understand the power of God. What does he mean by that? I think what he means is that the purpose of heaven isn't marriage. It isn't the personal fulfillment of this relationship. It's not being reunited with loved ones, so that will be nice. That ultimately the goal of heaven is being united with God, being able to see him face to face, being able to hear his voice, get to experience his presence in a tangible, physical way, that that is the joy, the purpose of heaven. And so, when you get to heaven, I think that the overwhelming response when you get there isn't going to be that here's my grandparent that I lost or my parent or my son or my daughter. It's going to be, God, here you are. This is what you look like. This is the tone of your voice that I have waited my entire life to hear the tone of your voice. waited my entire life to see your face, to see you smile at me to experience the joy of your presence in a way that I only got a shadow of on earth. That is what the joy of heaven is. That's the power of God. That's the completeness of our relationship with him being fulfilled in that moment. It's not that you're gonna get to spend eternity with some spouse that you loved here on earth because in heaven, we're gonna be siblings. All of our human relationships turn into brother-sister relationships which to me, it elevates singleness. Because God could have designed heaven any way he wanted. He could have said, you're going to have this lifelong spouse or this eternal long spouse. But instead, he said, no, you're going to have brothers and sisters. We're going to be family. And that's what heaven's going to be like forever and ever and ever. And so I think that's helpful for us to frame that when we get to to heaven, we get to heaven as singles, not as marrieds. And so it elevates the picture of what singleness is here on earth because I think when you see a single person here on earth who is fulfilled in Jesus, you see a glimpse of heaven. You see someone who's going, this is what it's going to be like to, be, to see someone that is so fulfilled in Jesus that they go, I don't have to have a spouse. Like I have everything I need in Jesus. It's a glimpse of heaven. Now, Let's jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. 1 Corinthians 7 is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. It goes Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you get to Acts, Romans, go to the right, you'll find 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're too far to the right, go back to the left, and you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. So Paul is going to be talking again about a number of topics, but we're just going to touch on the singleness passages. And so we are going to jump around a little bit here in chapter 7. But verse 7 says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, hey, I wish everybody here in the Corinthian church could be single like I am. I think that you'd be best off if you were single like me, but I recognize that everybody has different gifts, that every stage of life is a different gift, that when you're single, it's a gift, when you're married, it's a gift, and so if you can stay single, stay single. But if you burn with passion, you meet with someone, you meet someone, and you go, man, I love them, and they love me, and we have this connection, and we want to be married, he says, you can be married, there's nothing wrong with that. And so the second takeaway this morning is that singleness and marriage are both a gift and have different advantages for how we can serve God's kingdom. So both singleness and marriage are both a gift and they have different advantages for how we can serve God's kingdom. So as a single individual, you have more time, you have more availability, you have more ability to just pick up and leave and go and do different things and you don't have to think about how is this going to affect my spouse, how is this going to affect my kids? And so uh, one of the things is maybe there's a mission trip that's leaving today and they need an extra person. Most likely, someone who's going to go is probably going to be a single person. If I was like, hey, I need someone to go with me, it's probably a single person who's going to go because they can just say, yeah, I can drop everything. I don't have to find someone to watch my kids. I don't got to work out things with my spouse. I'll just go. Paul is going to talk about, I, I think what Paul is talking about also is the ability to risk. Single people can risk and go to dangerous places in a way that married people can, but oftentimes it's more difficult to or you have to find this special combination of two people that really feel like God has specially wired us to go to these places together. Now at the same time, there is ways that married people can serve the kingdom of God that single people can't. That it's probably unlikely that you're gonna listen to a single, mar- a single marriage counselor as well as you would listen to a married marriage counselor. That if you, your single friend wants to give you marriage advice, you're probably like, eh, I don't know. Where did you get this from? Same thing with parenting. That if your single friend tries to give you parenting advice, your knee-jerk reaction is probably like, "Uh, how many kids do you have? Uh, I just don't know if I want to listen to you. So there are ways and places that we can serve God's kingdom. And then just being a parent is a way to serve God's kingdom. As we disciple and raise our kids, it's a way to serve God's kingdom but he's going to unpack this more specifically. So now if you jump down to verse 25. He says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So what this sounds like he's saying is, God didn't tell me anything to say to you guys about this, but I'm gonna give you my best guess and I think it's probably pretty good. That's what it sounds like, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when Jesus was here on earth during his ministry, nobody specifically came up and said, hey, Jesus, should I stay married? Or should I, should I stay single? Like, what should I do here? Nobody asked him that question. So Paul was saying, I don't have Jesus' specific teaching on the topic of singleness and marriage, but I do have the spirit of God, and so I do feel like my judgment is trustworthy and good in this. So verse 26, he says, because of the present crisis... I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So, do not amen if you're married to that last statement about <laughs> troubles in life. Uh, so he says, because of the present crisis. Now, what is the present crisis? So the Bible scholars are split. There's kind of three main camps. So the first one says, there might have been a famine. And so Paul is saying, hey, a famine's not a great time to get married. It's gonna be hard enough for you to find food to feed yourself, like you don't wanna be trying to feed your spouse and then maybe kids down the road, don't get married during a famine. It's also possible that he might be talking about persecution. He's going, the persecution in the Roman Empire is getting worse for us and for our people, and so, I just don't think you guys should get married right now because it's going to be bad enough if you get thrown to the lions in the Colosseum, but it's going to be a lot worse if it's you and your spouse getting thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. So just don't get married right now. So that's two of the options. The third option is he's saying when Jesus died on the cross, when he was resurrected to new life and he ascended to heaven, he began this... Um, time period we call the end times. And the idea is that he set into motion these events when he's going to return and set everything right. But when he returns and said everything right, he is going to put a stop to people coming to trust and believe in Jesus. That their moment, their time to trust and believe has ended. And so Paul was going, the time is short. This is a crisis. We need to go and tell as many people as we possibly can about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says, we need to not focus on marriage right now. You don't need to worry about getting married. You need to worry about going out and spreading the gospel to all over the Mediterranean, to all these places where people have not heard the name of Jesus. We need to go to all these places and share with them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that people will come to trust and believe before it's too late. And so that might be the crisis that he's talking about. But then, throughout this whole thing, he keeps going back and forth because he he makes it sound like you could accuse him of saying like he doesn't think marriage is a good deal and no one should do it. But he keeps going. No, I I think marriage is a great thing, but I think singleness is better better. And so he keeps going like, hey, if you're engaged, you can stay engaged. I'm not here to break you up. So get married if you want to get married. But if you don't want to stay engaged, then don't stay engaged, and that's fine. He keeps going back and forth because he's saying both of these are good things. I'm not trying to keep you from getting married, but I think that there are troubles in life that married people face that single people don't. And that's our third takeaway. Singleness frees us from some of the concerns of life and gives us more availability to advance the kingdom of God. So singleness frees us from some of the concerns of life and gives us more availability to advance the kingdom of God. And he's going to unpack this more specifically in a moment. So let's go on to verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So this sounds really confusing, because it sounds like he just got done saying, hey, if you're engaged you want to get married, get married. And then it sounds like he says, once you get married, pretend you're not married. You're like, what, Paul? Like, I can get married, but just don't pretend, like pretend that I'm not married? What are you talking about? So I I think what he's getting at here is he's saying, we need to not get so focused on our marriage that we neglect God and his kingdom. Because he lists out all these things that are temporary and that are passing away. So he says... Those who have wives should live like they don't because there is coming a time when they're gonna, you're not gonna be married anymore. You're gonna be in eternity and you'll be single again. So it says, yes, be married. Yes, invest in your marriage. We want your marriage to be healthy. We want your family to be healthy, but don't get so focused on your marriage and your family that you neglect the kingdom of God. It says, don't get so wrapped up in your grief and your mourning that you abandon and turn away from God. Don't get so wrapped up in celebrating something here on earth that you forget to celebrate God and his kingdom. Don't get so wrapped up on the stuff here on earth, the things and the material possessions here on earth that you turn away from God in the pursuit of that stuff because all that stuff is temporary. It's here today and it's going to disappear. It's going to be no more at some point. It says what will last forever is Jesus. Jesus and his kingdom will last forever. The people that you've impacted their lives through trust and faith, that will last forever. So he says, I think what he's getting at is to spread, spread the gospel, share the good news. Because these other things are temporary and Jesus and his kingdom is eternal. So this caused me to ask the question that if I am married, are my eyes and heart focused on God? If I'm married in my heart, my eyes and my heart focused on God, or have I taken my eyes off of God, off of his kingdom and just focus them on my marriage? Or have I just put them on my family? Because marriage and family is a great gift, and he, Paul is for that gift, but he doesn't want us to be so focused on that that we neglect God's kingdom. So if you're considering marriage, then the question should be, if I choose to get married, how will I continue to keep my eyes and heart focused on God when I am married? That when we, marriage does not opt us out of serving God's kingdom. We continue to serve and be a part of God's kingdom. So, verse 32, Paul says, if I would, sorry, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord." So he says, here's what happens. If you choose to get married, before you're married, your whole focus, your whole devotion was on Jesus. And then once you get married, that devotion is divided between Jesus and his kingdom and then your spouse, that you need to love and serve your spouse. And then if you have kids, it's divided a third time. And he says... I I don't want you to have to deal with those concerns. The person who is single, they don't have to worry about kids. They don't have to worry about the spouse. They don't have to, they just focus on Jesus and his kingdom, and their life is simpler. And that's what I want for you, he says. And so what Paul is is getting at here as I was reading this and thinking more about it is I really think that Paul is saying there is a cost to marriage. Like when we choose to get married, there's a cost we pay a lot of the times. I think in the majority of the cases, it's to say that I am limiting what I can do for the kingdom because I'm taking some of my time, some of my energy, some of my focus from God's kingdom and putting it on my spouse in my marriage. And that's something that I think rarely, if ever, we think about, especially in the United States, because we're so focused on the cost of singleness. We know that if I remain single, that it's going to cost me marriage, is going to cost me sex, it's going to cost me kids, it's going to cost me all these things that I just don't want to pay. But Paul is the reverse. Paul looks at the kingdom of God, he looks at the opportunity to take the gospel all over the Mediterranean, and he's saying, I will not tra- trade that marriage I'm not going to trade that for a spouse I'm not going to trade that for a family because if I get married I'm not taking my spouse on some dangerous ship journey across the Mediterranean or I'm not going to take her to some city where people might beat me and try to kill me like I can't take her to those places I can't do that and so I'm not going to get married because I'm not going to pay that cost the mission and vision of what God wants to do here on earth is too big and I'm so willing to give my life to that that I'm not willing to settle for something else and so maybe you feel that way. And maybe you don't. Maybe you feel like this pull that God has just wired you to be in marriage. But for Paul, Paul's looking at it and he's saying, I'm not going to pay the cost to be married. Now this is important because there are people throughout history who did not really think about the cost of marriage. And they thought, I can have my cake and eat it too. And history looks back at them and it says, man, like you did some damage to your family. So there are three guys. There's probably more examples, but three of them are John Wesley, George Whitfield, and William Carey. So John Wesley and George Whitfield were revivalist preachers. So they lived, I think they lived in England and they traveled over England and the US. But they, John Wesley and George were married, but they left their families behind. For months and years at a time, they would leave and go overseas. Their wife and their kids stayed behind. And so their wives were angry, bitter people because they were abandoned. Because they said, their husbands had said, we want to go do these huge things for God. And they would not count the cost of what it's going to take. And so it said, "We said, we're going to get married and we're also going to go do this. And they tried to not divide between their families. And it cost their families greatly. And then there's William Carey, who was a missionary to India, and he did fantastic work. But his wife did not want to be a missionary to India, and so she was in despair and mental anguish the entire time they were in India, and it affected what William was able to do in India. And the reality was that I think he could have done a lot more for God's kingdom if he had been single, and he just said, you know, I think God's calling me to this, and so I'm gonna forsake marriage to do this, but God's calling me to. But instead he tried to do both And it deeply wounded his family. And so we need to ask the question of, am I willing to pay the cost? Because if we choose to get married, it means we're going to divide our devotion and our energy and our time between multiple places. And that's a limit we just have to accept. And if we're not willing to accept that, Paul is saying, that's a good thing and we should pursue the kingdom. Verse 36. Verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. Paul, the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better." So Paul has been accused in this passage of really like just beating up marriage. Like, and, I, and if you read more of Paul's letters, you see that Paul is definitely for marriage. Paul thinks that marriage is an incredible gift. It's an incredible picture of what God can display through God's love for his church through marriage. But in this instance, in this letter to the Corinthians, he's really just wanting to emphasize the advantage of singleness, which I think is jarring to us as Americans because we are so wrapped up in a society that thinks that marriage is the way to fulfillment. And so when we get to the end, after Paul has said, like, if you want to get married, get married. If you don't want to get married, that's okay. That's good. And then he gets to verse 38 and he says, so then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. We go, what? What? The person who doesn't get married does better? Like that's not what I see in our society. That's not how people interact with me as a single person. They act like something is wrong with me if I'm not married. They always wanna set me up with this person or that person. Or my parents' friends make jokes about, you know, your parents want some grandkids. And here's Paul going, you're doing the better thing. Because Paul's eyes are focused on the kingdom. And he's focused on here's what you can do for the kingdom as a single person that the married people can't do. And so Paul elevates singleness. He doesn't go, there's something wrong here. He doesn't go, there's something lacking in you. He says, God set you apart for an incredible purpose, God has set you apart for an incredible adventure. And if God calls you to marriage, fantastic, go get married. But if you can stay single and you can join him on this adventure to take the gospel to places it hasn't been, if you can go with him to serve in places that other people can't because they have to focus on their marriage and focus on their kids and the rest of their family, it says God is calling you to something better. So I wanna finish where we started. Our society sees singleness as a tragedy, but Paul saw singleness as an advantage and it was an advantage that he wasn't willing to give up. He wasn't willing to surrender it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people that hadn't heard about who Jesus was. So as Americans, we often ask, how can I find personal fulfillment? The the drive is, how can I find satisfaction in life? If I buy this product, if I switch to this job, if I marry this person. But Paul's question was, how can I live my life for God's glory and for other people's good? but how can I live my life to bring more glory to God and for other people's good? And then I believe that as he did that, he found fulfillment. He found satisfaction, he found joy. It wasn't that he exchanged one for the other, but he found joy as he served the kingdom of God. So whether we marry or whether we don't, the most important question is, how am I using my life to serve in God's kingdom? that it might be investing in a family, it might be in uh, raising kids and discipling kids, but I I believe that God calls us to also serve outside of our homes in ways and places. And if we're single, it's going, God, how can I use this gift you've given me at this stage of life to invest in your kingdom? So Warren Wiersbe is a Bible scholar, and he shared five questions to consider before getting married. This first question was, what is my gift from God? Has God wired me for a life of singleness or marriage? But has God wired me for this? So I, I think there's three guys I mentioned earlier that God had wired them to go be these revivalist preachers, to go travel the world and go these, to these exotic places, or not exotic, but to faraway places. And he wired them to do it and they should have said, I can do this as a single person. And instead they got married and then it was really hard on their families. So how has God wired you? Second question is, am I marrying a believer? Am I marrying a believer? If you're engaged to someone and they're not a believer, then you are hamstringing your ability to serve the kingdom. That they're not gonna understand why you wanna volunteer to serve the kingdom. They're not gonna understand why you wanna give your money to build the kingdom. They're not gonna understand any of those things. And so if you want to just hamstring your ability to be a, a servant in God's kingdom, then marry an unbeliever, but then beyond all that, God tells us not to marry an unbeliever, so don't do it. The third question is: are the circumstances such that marriage is right? and this moment in life, is it the right time for me to get married, or do I need to wait six months or a year or whenever? When is it that I need to wait to get married? How will marriage affect my service for Christ? That if I get married, will I be able to serve God in ways that I'm not right now? Or will there be my spouse, are they going to encourage me towards more service? And then am I prepared to enter into this union for life? That am I prepared to enter into this for life? That it's not just a, if this works out, but this is uh, to the best of my ability, I want this to be for life. So if you're single in this room, I I wanna encourage you. Because God is calling us to be a family of believers. So if you have the gift of singleness, it should not be a, a call to loneliness or a call to aloneness. It should be a call to a different kind of family. To not a nuclear family, but to a gospel family to be brothers and sisters, that this is where we're gonna end up in eternity as brothers and sisters. And so my hope is that you would find family here in our church, that you would find places to be involved where you would say that these people feel like family. I feel like I'm an aunt or an uncle to their kids because they feel like a brother or sister to me. And so I would love for you, if you're single to take the next step in your journey and choose community. And find a life group to be involved in, and not just a singles group, but you would find a married group, or or just be open to a married group. And I know that it can be awkward at times. And we, as a married couple, people don't want you in there just so you watch our kids, but we want you to be part of our families. We don't want you to be alone. We want you to be loved and cared for. We want you to feel like, yes, there's a place for me. There is a family for me here because I am part of God's family. And when we, able, when we do that really well, it shows something totally countercultural to the world around us where they could say, how are you so satisfied as an individual? And you could say, well, I have Jesus and I have my church. And because I have Jesus and I have my church, I have family and I don't need a spouse. I can have the mission and the vision of God. And I can have my brothers and sisters, and this is how I'm going to spend eternity. And then if you are married in here, I'd encourage you to take the next step in if you're already chose community or already involved in a life group, take the next step to join the mission. That Paul does not let us use marriage or kids as an excuse to not be involved in what God is doing here on earth. And so if you have been Avoiding volunteering or serving or being involved because you go, you know, we just gotta really, I just gotta spend more time with my family and I, I don't want you to not have to be in a healthy spot with your family. But it can be really healthy for your family to serve. Be really healthy for you as a family together to get in and to be involved in what God is doing here at our church. So our children's ministry is looking for people to help throughout the summer. You can sign up for one Sunday, for one hour on that Sunday to come and to be involved. And the children's ministry does a fantastic job of setting up the classrooms, setting up the large group space. And so it's not like you in a room with a bunch of kids for an hour and a half, but instead it's you are in there for a little bit with them and you go out to large group time and your role in that time is just to help them stay in this spot they're supposed to be sitting. And they get trained to stay in the spots they're supposed to be sitting. Like There's some preparation that's been done for you. And so you can be involved in helping to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of boys and girls here at our church by taking the step to just sign up for one Sunday. And perhaps that as you take that step, you find out, man, I love serving kids. I didn't think I was gonna love this and I loved it. And it's so low risk. You sign up for one Sunday for one hour, you try it, and then if it doesn't work out, you go, that was one Sunday, it was one hour. But perhaps it's the way that God calls you and invites you into this adventure where you get to do it as a couple, as a, as a married couple. And so I wanna invite you, I wanna invite us as a church that we wanna be a place that is beautiful because whether you're single, whether you're married, there's lots of space for you here. And whether you're single, whether you're married, we're family. We're not just individuals, we're brothers, we're sisters, and a family that is here on earth and that will someday be in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for my, my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I wanna pray especially for my single brothers and sisters. God, would you please Help them to know your love and your care. God, I am so grateful that they do not need a spouse on earth to be complete. That they have all they need in you. And God, I thank you that for my married friends in this room, they don't need the perfect marriage to be complete. That God, as there might be difficult marriages and difficult spots that they're in, God, they cannot find ultimate joy in their spouse. It's only found in you. And so God, would you help us first and foremost to find our joy, our satisfaction, our life of fulfillment in you. And then God, would you help us to join your kingdom? God, whether that is serving as singles and being able to go to places and do things that maybe some of the married folks can't, whether that's loving and serving in ways that as married people that the single people can't. God, you have given us each a gift and you've developed your body, your church so that we can meet all the needs and all the places for all the people. And so would you help us, God, to see our part and to do our part so that we could reflect beautifully your church to a world that desperately needs to see it. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. Pray this all in his name.